This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies? I'm your host, Angel. Would it be bad if I called myself Kamikaze host, Javi? Uh, no, please don't do this. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Places we should not go. This is probably one of them. <laughs> How to I'll get give you the show... polite answer of no. <laughs> How to get your show kicked off of Spotify in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Javi. Like I, I struggled with what I was going to say, and I'm like, what will make me seem the least racist? Well, I think the thing here is that here we are talking a Godzilla movie again, and this is the third time that we're talking a Godzilla movie on this podcast. Can you believe it? It might oh, be the other the ones. I forgot. It might even be the fourth. Okay, we, we did. Watched... We did Godzilla 2014. We did Ugh. King of the Monsters, and oh we might have done Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, we did all of these. I did oh. go back and I listened to our Godzilla 2014 uh, episode, because I do think that that's the one where we got into the most lore of Godzilla. We mm-hmm. did that back in 2019, by the way. We sounded... It was back when we were recording episodes in person all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there is such a different flavor to those episodes, and... Uh, it, I miss when the world was simpler. <laughs> Some would call it an amateur feel, if you will. <laughs> no, I thought it was. I was very impressed with the production quality for how oh, really it was. Yeah, I know it's something about like, yeah, it's it's more convenient to be able to do this from home and be able to rip these episodes out like quick and from the <laughs> convenience of your own home. But yeah, there is something about being together. Yeah, episode 93 is Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> and going back to it, I love the description of the episode. <laughs> Our description of that episode is Big Monkey Fights Thick Lizard. <laughs> That's the analysis people come to expect from doing like movies. So it's funny that that is practically the last Godzilla movie that we've done on this show. Because we're going to jump from that to something that I think there is humor in it and it's good humor, but it's not, this isn't a movie that pokes fun at itself. No, it, it reminds me of that gag from Futurama when they're at war with the ball planet. <laughs> and then there's this robot medic that keeps making mash jokes the entire episode. <laughs> and he switches between uh, dramatic and comedy like he has this switch. And he's like, this isn't a war. This is murder. And then when he switches over to comedy, he goes, this isn't a war. This is minor. <laughs> as much as I'd like to think that's what this movie does, it doesn't. But the two different genres of Godzilla are very much like that. Yeah, we are in a Godzilla reboot renaissance right now because 2014 was the legendary Godzilla reboot. And then 2016 is the first time that Toho, well, not the first time Toho's ever rebooted this, because I think mm-hmm. the first time they really rebooted it was Godzilla Returns 1984. 
and that we talked about in our 2014 episode. So if you want to hear my quick thoughts on something like that, you can go back to listen to that episode. But I think that their second real reboot of the franchise was the got the 2016 Shin Godzilla movie, um, which I have such a I have a lot of love for that movie because mm-hmm. I think that movie does a really good job of of probably showing you what what happened if Godzilla first appeared in like the modern day, right? Like it is one of those weird movies where going back to watch that movie. It's like Godzilla shows up and surfaces in Japan, and it's like a complete giant natural disaster. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that are still working in boardrooms. There are people still working in offices. Not everyone has evacuated the cities. Like it feels like what would happen if Godzilla like showed up in a real world, right? Like yeah, any disaster, any disaster. You know, like there's still there. There is that weird thing where like. You know, in, in movies, we're like, oh, well, we evacuated all the citizens of the city. But that doesn't actually work that way. <laughs> you know, yeah. like people, people have jobs. People have children. People have responsibilities. People have, like, not everyone is going to be able to mass leave a city in that way. And I think that movie does a, a, a reasonable job of, of at least attempting to explore, you know, like how how challenging it would be to have to keep you know, it's general public calm uh, in in the in like an extraordinary event like this. So fun fact about that one. I know this is supposed to be Godzilla minus one, but I don't remember if I got to really talk about it. No, well, no, we haven't even done it. No, we've never done Shin Godzilla. And I think but... we probably should maybe consider doing it towards the end of the year. I think it's a movie that merits uh, good discussion. But yeah, fun fact for Shin Godzilla, the guy that made it, or the guy, I think it was the filmmaker, the, the director, um, he did uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion in the 90s, which is... Mm-hmm this uh anime about kaiju battles in new japan and essentially it is that humanity has found the a way to create these bio-engineered robots which they then shove a bunch of teenagers (laughs) and who then go on to fight biblically accurate angels so, like, the monsters they're fighting are these really creepy, eldritch horror-looking things, um, while also wearing these weird, also equally as creepy mech suits, which also look rad as hell. Um, hence why Godzilla and Shin Godzilla goes through, like, all these weird, creepy-ass metamorphoses, which were inspired by that guy's art. Um... And also, there was a ride <laughs> over at, uh, I think it was... Um, so I forgot which uh, theme park in Japan where actually it's a uh, Evangelion cross Shin Godzilla, mm-hmm. where you're in one of those zip lines. No, no, not the zip lines. It's those augmented reality rides. Like oh. remember, yeah, mm-hmm. like where you're sitting and you're like rumbling around in, in these uh mm-hmm. 4D chairs, and essentially you're a pilot on the robot that is trying to uh, stop Godzilla from destroying Tokyo. Oh, so okay. like, cool. Cool, fun little crossover. Like nice. these people didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, and I think part of the the other thing too, why I like mentioning that movie is, I think the point of that movie is that the old ways don't work. 
that a lot of times what helps you get through some of these kinds of catastrophes and disasters are relying on the good ideas of young, you know, of young people in government, of young scientists. Like it feels like youth. The youth are the people who are going to save us in that movie. And given mm -hmm. that we live in a country where like we are governed by people who are in their like 80s, yep. <laughs> it is very refreshing to watch another country's like, you know, to watch another country do a film where it's like young governor, like young people in government positions are going to be the ones that save us. Like a and bunch I... of AOCs saving the world. <laughs> and, um, and I think part of the reason why that works here too is what I've noticed is in the U S we are way more interested in, in, in how can we make everything the biggest thing we've ever seen, right? So, 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 legendary Godzilla has to be the most giant Godzilla we've ever seen. He's big, mm -hmm. he's thick, he's angry, he runs I beg fast. Your pardon. <laughs> he is. He's angry. He runs fast. Like you just described me on like a drunken bender on Saturday night. <laughs> but I feel like Japanese Godzilla is more. They treat him more like a force of nature. Mm-hmm. And much like the 1954 Godzilla, I think that now Toho is at a place where they are really going back to the origins of Godzilla in a way that I don't even think the mid 2000 series did. Like it mm -hmm. is good. It is good. Like I, the stuff that, that, you know, that's what I loved about Shin Godzilla. It's like, Oh, so this is the first time since the original movie that we're using Godzilla to say something about the world we're living in and yep. i think that this one is it well you and i talked about it off air right before we started recording that this was your first time seeing it and i'll and i'll ask you more about your opinion about it but i think both of both you and i thought of oppenheimer and even though mm -hmm. we have not reviewed oppenheimer on this podcast you and i both saw it together and i think one of the major criticisms that chris nolan got on that film and I think, look, and, and people are, are defending him because they're like, well, that wasn't the focus of the movie. But, you know, his movie does not deal with any of what the fallout of the creation of the atomic bomb is. Mm -hmm. So it almost feels like it's Oppenheimer is the movie where you're watching Killian Murphy deal with the fact that he created the monster. And, and, and somehow Godzilla Minus One feels like it's the movie that shows you what happens after the monster's been created, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because both those movies came out at the same time, and I think it's been very uh, interesting. I guess the but, first thing I would say is, uh, so you can get into it a bit more, Javi, what was your experience with Godzilla Minus One? Because I know this is your first time watching it. Oh, it is hard not to immediately think of Oppenheimer like when you first watch this movie. Because of the fact that, like, just like you said, it's like if, if Oppenheimer was about the creation of the monster, this is about the fallout, and this is about, like, the repercussions that happen from this new technology now entering, essentially, history and changing uh, everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my first experience, it's fresh in my mind, I just saw it last night, and I remember... Um, 
thinking, oh man, we're getting another Godzilla movie? Like, this is insane. Like, it feels like, like, for a moment, I'm almost like, oh crap, it feels like we're almost getting oversaturated. Like, it feels like every couple months we're getting another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this mean a not legendary film. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. You know, like, um, you know, I feel different about this one because uh, to- I mean, it's in Toho's hands, and Toho always has something good to say whenever they have Godzilla. So, uh, the fact that this movie took it back to you know, very bold choice to make this a 19, you know, make this a movie post 1945 or 47, I believe, um, and post World War II where um uh, you know japan is coming off the the tail end of you know or they're recovering from the pacific theater which no one ever talks about being such a violent and bloody encounter like probably possibly even um uh, shit probably more violence took place in the south pacific than than you know other places in the in the war theater right mm-hmm. It's just something we don't really talk about as much because it's, you know, so much stuff was going on in the European theater that it's, um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like it just becomes kind of another footnote in history. Um, so, so already we are essentially taking the side of what was once considered the bad guys. The We're talking about, um, we're talking about uh you know one 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 third of the axis power so it's like already this movie's asking you to empathize with someone who you wouldn't normally empathize especially if you're in a western audience watching this movie for the first time mm-hmm. um so i found that very interesting but i think what they do a really good job of is it, is they they focus less on the actual on the actual political aspect of of what was going well not what was going on like they definitely they definitely cover a lot of that in this film but i think they try to focus less on the jingoism they try to focus less on on kind of the 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 inherent lines that get drawn during wartime and they really do try to focus on the story of redemption, the story of survivor's guilt, the story of um, dealing with with what it's like to come back to come back home after and having to rebuild after wartime, um, which was stuff that it caught me off guard, <laughs> and it caught me off guard, uh, kind of empathizing with with uh with a lot of the characters in the in the film um so So when we did godzilla 2014 i think one of the things i mentioned in that episode was that i got very excited when gareth edward was selected to be the director of that movie because i thought that he probably had the chops to try to turn that into an interesting character story where Godzilla is like, you know, framed in the film and stuff like that. And some of the pre before that movie came out stuff where they talked about nuclear testing in 1954. And that's when they first saw Godzilla kind of gave you the impression that they were going to do that. What I discovered very quickly watching this movie is I don't think a Western film or a Western director or a Western writer or someone who is not Japanese. I do not think they're capable of telling uh, 
the story in the way that I wanted it to be told. And that's what I discovered watching this movie. Oh, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, like in history, I'm talking historically, right? Mm-hmm. The people will talk a lot about Japanese war crimes and they'll talk a lot about obviously us being Americans. We were drilled into, you know, always remembering Pearl Harbor, for example. Buddy, in history, in high school history, I remember once being in a uh, my U.S. history class doing a debate where I was the person who argued in favor <laughs> of the nuclear bomb. Oh, me and, too. And what we did, like that was, <laughs> I was very pro that yeah. in my youth. And I think it's because when we're growing up, especially in the U.S., we are not taught of just the 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 kind of world changing impact. Mm-hmm. that that singular event has had on politics global you know just how everything works all yeah. we know about it was they bombed pearl harbor we bombed them and it ended the war get some and it's like no it's a lot more complicated than that and it really wasn't until i was in college and i started reading you know, in in I think it was some of my anthropology and history classes, we started actually reading journal entries mm-hmm. from people who who were victims of what happened uh, during the nuclear blast. Basically, talking about how some people, like there were literally kids running through, you know, like streets and fields naked because if they were close enough, like the bomb, like like the whatever the fallout was, literally burned the clothes off of their body. Mm-hmm. Or it, it seared the clothes into their body. Like mm-hmm. there is, I, I highly recommend if anyone has a stomach for it, go. It's a five part, uh, probably five hour series. The last podcast on the left did a fantastic series on Oppenheimer and just the Manhattan projects in general, mm-hmm. talking about from the creation of the atomic bomb to uh, kind of the historical fallout post uh, Nagasaki. And just like the horrifying effects of what um, that has done to kind of our our psyche as humans and kind of like the stuff we we've taken on. Um, and one thing they did cover really well in that in that series that I wanted to touch on real quick is um, Japanese propaganda during World War II. And the reason why the Japanese army was the most fierce fighting force and possibly in history is because they were had drilled into them. The you know, Emperor Hirohito and the Imperial Army had drilled into a lot of these soldiers that these guys were facing literally the Satan incarnate if they were going to be fighting the US Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And that they believed that you know, the that they believed that our Marines were going to go over there, kill them, rape them, torture them and do all kinds of god like ungodly things to these people. So as a result, they had to instill in them this fear and this like need to fight. And they instilled in them completely, you know, they, they made them to the point fanatical to the cause of defending Japan, which is something that, you know, you control the news and, you know, they would lie. They would talk about how there would be battles that the Japanese had won, which were kind of catastrophic failures. Uh, they would lie about supply lines being cut off or of entire of entire islands going hungry because 
of the fact that they refused to back down. And this was all propaganda that was brought from the top to the bottom. And of course, the people that had to enact it were the foot soldiers. And you see so much of it ingrained in this film that at the end of the day, these are guys. And, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, the, the characters in this film were guys that kind of bought the ultimate grift. And as a result, the entire country paid for it. And I think they do a really good job of kind of establishing that for this, for for the for the sake of this film. Because um, yeah, I mean, based on history, we're kind of you know this is we're 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 taking a look at what happened to the bad guys, you know, and and it's also important that understand that at least for the sake of this, like what's the story that's actually being told here is not necessary is 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 more than just you know, what what was written in the history books. Because as we know, history is always going to be written by those that survive. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to step off my political soapbox. <laughs> my bad about that. I just thought that the, it's really important to watch this movie with context. And now that I'm 30, World War II is kind of my Roman Empire. <laughs> And kind of how that's affected American history. U.S. history is my American em- or my 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 Roman Empire. Yeah, no, World War II and the effects of World War II are we are feeling the ripples of it to this day. It is it it changed the both world wars changed the nature of how we go through global conflicts. I mean, um, big stick politics with no big stick politics from 1918. You and I might not even be in this country doing a podcast right about now. Right. <laughs> like it just goes to show you how you know there's there's the butterfly effect that especially in history is truly real. Um, want to joke? The other thing too is that, and I don't mean this because they are two different countries, but what I mean is that I think that this is. The only reason why I thought about this movie a little bit while watching Godzilla isn't because it's isn't strictly because it comes from an Asian country. But I think much like a few years ago when we had a movie like um, like Parasite Breakout, this mm-hmm. movie, I think because it came out at the right time um, and I think because it did not like something like parasite is coming out at a time where they're talking about class inequality which is something that is so universally felt everywhere that mm-hmm. it, it broke through and everyone felt it and i think just like what we were talking about because we were all waiting for oppenheimer and we all thought it was a big deal to go back and 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 seeing this this movie comes in this foreign film comes in and breaks through and i think well besides that besides the fact that it's coming on the heels of Oppenheimer, it is so well directed. It is such a well written character piece mm-hmm. that uses Godzilla, much like in Shin Godzilla, as an allegory, which is what he was initially, you know, meant to be in 1954 for the atomic bomb. And Godzilla mm-hmm. 1954 does this. Like, and I talked about it on the podcast when we talked about the 2014 movie. In the 1954 movie, one of the reasons why Godzilla coming to Tokyo, like the scene where he attacks Tokyo is so devastating, isn't just because he destroys things by stepping on them. It's also the fact that he is basically basically clothed in radiation 
and the radiation poisoning has people dying. Like there are scenes post the Godzilla attack on Tokyo where people are in hospitals, these like mass like hospitals watching their loved ones die of radiation poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie just hits in that way. And I'm very happy that a movie like this has broken through. This is an Academy, now just this week as we're recording this, this movie is the first Academy Award nominated Godzilla film ever. Word, that's awesome. And it absolutely dis- uh, deserves uh, the the distinction that it has. It's been nominated for Best Visual Effects um, at for the uh, Academy Awards. So um, I think it went viral, and I and I might have shared it on the Instagram page. But uh, yeah, they they showed the the effects team like celebrating uh, when when the uh, nomination was announced. Oh, they deserve it. The special effects in this movie is fantastic. This movie was made on a box on a budget of ten to fifteen million dollars. What? That's no. Are you serious? No, I'm not kidding. So they had they did this basically on a Blumhouse budget. And that's what I mean is that I think one of the things that American audience and we are watching the American Godzilla movies. You and I are going to watch Godzilla and Kong: The New Empire. It's on our schedule to review that movie later. <laughs> Don't yeah. remind me. We will do it, and we've enjoyed those movies. I've enjoyed Kong, Skull Island, and stuff like that. I've turned but, my brain off to enjoy most of those movies. <laughs> but I think American kaiju movies are so marvelized. And then I mean that in, in, in every sense of the word, way. fuck you, Marvel. <laughs> kind of a negative way, yeah. It's just, it's these bloated special effects porn, you know, fight fests. Again, you just described me on a Saturday night. <laughs> um, that it just, we love it for different reasons. But it's just like, think of the amount of money that studios are spending on those things. Think of the massive, like, I feel like Hollywood is just overthinking this whole thing. And I feel like Toho, the initial, the the originators came back and said, no, this is how you can do this. Because this is only the second time that Toho is doing a movie that has almost a complete digital Godzilla in it. Because No, let's just... Let's just keep making god awful Godzilla movies so Toho can keep making good Godzilla movies. And they did a couple things here. They reduced the size of Godzilla from mm-hmm. some of the later films. So he is not as big as he's been in other films. He's way smaller than the legendary one. Um they put him on uh they put him on some diet. <laughs> Um, and I just love the design. The design is so excellent in this. So let's go ahead and just get into the plot of this movie. It starts off in 1945. We are near the end of the Second World War, and our main character—I um, don't know what his first name is—but I just Koichi Shikishima. Yeah, Shikishima is basically what I've called him throughout the entire film because that's the only thing I remember now. Oh no, this. You, you... His name only gets shouted at him like 50,000 times whenever yeah. people are pissed at him. Um, so Shikishima is a kamikaze pilot. And mm-hmm. I guess this is during, this is it's near the end of the World War. It's still like the war hasn't officially ended yet. <clears throat> and he is, um, I guess, at a Japanese base on a place called Odo Island. Odo Island, in case you don't know is the island where Godzilla is first found um, in the 1954 movie. Mm. So it's a movie that's filled with some indigenous population in it. And it's where 
you know the characters in the film go and they see him for the first time popping his head out from behind a mountain mm-hmm. um so i i love the touch of of setting this on Odo island mm-hmm. i did not expect this movie what i was very surprised by is this movie introduces us to <laughs> i guess the original version of godzilla and in Shin godzilla the original version was a weird tale that eventually becomes this goofy looking Godzilla that like that just like you had a tadpole that rolls all over the all over the street this one Godzilla's original form looks a lot like a dinosaur Mm -hmm. Um, which I believe I think in the 90s one of the Godzilla movies uh, posits that Godzilla was originally a dinosaur that was you know that was turned into a much larger giant monster from nuclear radiation but he was initially like called the Godzillasaurus and existed mm-hmm. in the time of the dinosaurs so this movie is it is already referencing Godzilla lore just mm-hmm. in the fact that now we're dealing with a smaller Godzilla dinosaur and the fact that we are starting at Odo Island mm-hmm. and I love how it's merged these things with this post-World War II setting that it's in and so this really fast, agile creature is angry and, you know, attacks these people on this island. Mm-hmm. Um, and as these people are getting killed by this monster, uh, Shikishima, like, is has the opportunity to try to, you know, shoot him or attack him. But it's... He... You know, I guess it posits that he like doesn't. I don't know if he, he, I don't know if it's that he, he doesn't believe in the mission or. Well, part of it, it's a couple things. One is that I think Tachibana the is the lead uh, mm-hmm. mechanic on Odo Island, and they have kind of an exchange where, um, you know, he mentions that uh, Shikishima's plane. You know, there's nothing actually wrong with it. And that he thinks, um, you know, he doesn't insinuate anything because Shikishima gets angry about it. But he's like, hey, I get it. You know, if, if, um, you know, if the, why sacrifice yourself uh, for a lost cause sort of thing? Like he kind of, not so many words, but kind of in some coded language. That's what he tells Shikishima. Right. Like all the characters Um, are well aware that Japan is going to lose the war. Oh, yeah, they've kind of resigned themselves to this fact. Um, and as Godzilla attacks, uh, Tachibana tells him to get into a zero so that he can uh, essentially blast Godzilla off the face of the earth with the 30 millimeter machine guns. But Shikishima ends up um, kind of getting cold feet, like right as he gets into the plane and is unable to shoot Godzilla, which understandable. You are facing down what should be a prehistoric creature. The fact that you can do anything other than shit your pants is well, a bit, like incredible. Not to mention that, but it is violently murdering everyone around him. Yeah, because at like, one it point... Is, it is a it, horror scene. Like The crazy part is their mechanics. None of these guys have any actual combat experience. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, this is a slaughter. Like you said, you have parts where like Godzilla bites guys in half. He ends up throwing them across the island. He ends up crushing people, it, and it goes on for a minute. Like yeah, you this s- actually made me think a little bit of something like Dunkirk too. Like, <laughs> like we are really getting 
<laughs> the we're really getting Toho's answer to Chris Nolan movies, I feel like in a way. <laughs> so Godzilla ends up destroying uh their outpost and ends up destroying uh the plane that uh, Shikishima flew in on. And as Shikishima uh passes out, he wakes up the next day and sees that he and he and Tashibana are the only uh survivors left from the attack. And Tachibana calls him a coward and that telling him that it's his fault that everyone died because he didn't he wasn't able to kill Godzilla when he had the chance. So they are able to put all the they're able to gather up all the corpses um and they get uh transport uh back to mainland Japan where Tachibana ends up giving um Shigishima, uh, this was kind of this wallet like filled with all the pictures of uh the the mechanics families, um or all the pictures that the mechanics had on them, uh kind of as a reminder of of his failure and kind of uh, how he let the how he let those guys down, and I'm just like holy shit that is heavy as fuck. <laughs> which is understandable like you know us coming from american culture is completely different where japanese is very honor-based and it's like you do your job and you you do it right for there, there's a sense of community and taking care of each other and so it's really easy to see why shikishima gets treated the way he does um especially later on but i think like we were saying you know or like i was saying earlier is you do also develop empathy understanding where he's coming from too um, because as he goes back to his old family's neighborhood, we see that uh the the we see essentially the fallout of uh the post um Hiroshima like bombings on Tokyo. Yes. Be- specifically because... yeah, it's it's a specific area of Tokyo. Some um... people don't know, but after Hiroshima and Japan didn't uh, fold the way the U.S. thought they would. Um, the U.S. proceeded to run firebomb raids on Tokyo for like two weeks, mm-hmm. which killed, I think, more the more populous than. Yeah, this feels more like the firebomb fallout than. Yeah, so this is like like Hiroshima is somewhere else, right? That's not Tokyo. If we're near Tokyo, it's very likely the the fallout of the ensuing bombing after no yeah this is this is what's left of after the you know at this point they made it he's back in tokyo and he this is the this is the fallout from the fire bombings that the u.s continued to do after the first nuclear bomb was dropped so you know this way people it is you know this is kind of important to see that it's like yeah the the fighting kept going. It wasn't like we dropped. It wasn't like we dropped two nuclear bombs and then the the fighting stopped. It was like no, it went on even after the first bomb was dropped, and well, a lot of people continued to die. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of people died, and a lot of people's lives continued. And I love that part in this scene because this scene shows it. You got people making shacks out of the rubble of their old homes trying to like survive and try to keep things going you know um he returns home and uh he ends up meeting 
I think this was a no, it wasn't Nor he doesn't meet Noriko yet. It was Sumiko, mm-hmm. uh, who was a neighbor, a neighbor to his parents. Mm-hmm. And when they see, and that's the thing, everyone in the neighborhood knows that he's a fighter pilot and they know he should have died yeah. um as a kamikaze. So it's they, like when he, they do not like the fact that he is alive. <laughs> no, the fact that he th- didn't follow through on his duty and she gets pissed mm-hmm. saying she lost her kids. Why does he get to live uh while her kids are dead? So it's like the entire neighborhood already hates this guy. He's already suffering from survivor's guilt. You're just like, Jesus, how can this guy put up with all this? <laughs> and so he tries, um, he tries to, you know, to to make life for himself. He tries uh, to make a house where his family had left, um, pretty much had left their shack. And he ends up meeting a young woman by the name of Noriko mm-hmm. in what looks like is kind of like a public square where they're trying to set up kind of some shops and stuff. Uh, she's ended up gets chased out of there by some um, uh, by some shop owners, and it looks like he tries to stop her so that they can like arrest her or something. But she ends up going around him. Oh no, she ends up giving him a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and while he's surprised, he ends up like taking taking off around him and like escaping from the guys. Um, and he en- and uh, Shikishima ends up debating whether he's going to abandon the baby or not um but he ends up uh keeping the baby after um being found uh by noriko who tells her or tells him who uh the baby's name Mm -hmm. which i totally remember and took notes what the baby (laughs) what his not daughter's name is Oh my goodness gracious. Let me, let me pause. I hate that I find it right as you pause. <laughs> <laughs> but her name is Akiko. So uh Noriko uh Noriko and Akiko follow uh Shikishima back to his home. Uh he promises to um he you know put him up for the night. Um, but she ends up kind of staying for longer, mm-hmm. and uh, Sumiko ends up <laughs> Sumiko ends up uh meeting up with them in the morning, and kind of pissed off that they that these two don't know anything about raising kids. <laughs> yeah, it's so, and the thing is like this part is so engrossing because you spend a good while with these characters like coming together in this, and obviously there's. You know, movies, non-American movies are much less interested in, like, enforcing romances. (laughs) So it really is more of just them becoming a surrogate family, like, where their jobs are just to take care of this child. And it almost feels more of a civic duty than it does of, like, something that they're doing because... Yeah, than, like, adopting a child, right? Yeah, it's not like they Um, love each other. Like, they mention it. That Noriko's but mom, they grow to care for each other. Yeah, they the it's because they have this shared experience, right? Because it's like Noriko's parents died in the fire bombings, same as Akiko. And we find out Akiko's mom is completely not related to Noriko. So there's no blood relation, no familiarity there. 
other than she just happened to take this woman's child right before she died. So for all intents and purposes, they are completely perfect strangers and should have no feeling of, you know, affection towards each other. But it is it's nice to see how it comes in such an organic Yes. And and very sweet way, like it's very, it's very. I, I love the way the they become a family unit. And it's so interesting that like I hadn't even thought about the fact that I haven't seen Godzilla in a while, because ar- around this time, once we get get set up this kind of surrogate family sub story, that's when we cut back to see Godzilla getting mutated mm-hmm. <laughs> by the by specifically. The United States uh, nuclear test. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and you got General MacArthur being like, uh, we're not going to take responsibility, but you better get ready just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's very, I think, the US, like in this and in Shit Godzilla, like I, I love the way that they characterize the US. In this, it's like they're too scared of like, of, of continuing to raise tensions between them and the Soviets, and that's why mm. they don't really want to get involved and help Japan deal with something that they created. And then it's something like Shin Godzilla, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to destroy this monster, and like the U.S.'s idea is let's just drop a nuke on it, <laughs> which literally reminds me of like speeches that we used to see during the Trump administration of Donald Trump talking about like nuking hurricanes. I'm <laughs> just like, God, Americans are <laughs> stupid. God, he didn't even try plugging a bunch of fans and trying to blow the hurricane away. What an idiot. (laughs) Anyway, uh, by May 1947, Shikishima has picked up a new job because at this point, you know, at this point, Japan is starting to recover from the war. Um, So uh, industry is starting to boom. And one of the big industries that has actually picked up around this time, which is crazy to think about, is uh, mine, uh, mine, uh, yeah, mine sweeping, and that essentially they send out wooden boats out all along the coast of Japan, and they cut off, they cut mines like underwater mines out, so when they break uh, or when they break water, uh, they just shoot them down and detonate. <laughs> so that's crazy to think about that after a war there's an industry of cleaning up after the war um and shikishima's all for it he says it's a job that pays i think three thousand yen a week or something he said because of how dangerous it is um so he's all for it and he uh reminds noriko how how important it will be to have this money for um uh for akiko so he ends up uh, teaming up with a group of uh minesweepers who let's see if I remember their names. Um there's uh Shiro, um Mizushami, who's like the young one. I think he's the one they call the boy. Um there is uh Kenji Noda, who is the professor who used to be a naval weapons engineer during the wartime. And then there's, um, I believe it is a Yoji Akitsu, who was the captain of the ship 
uh, the Shinsei Maru, which was the first, um, the first little tugboat that they were on, um, while they're while they're uh, mind sweeping. So you know, we see that life is good for uh, Shikishima and his uh, kind of a adopted family. Uh, him and the guys um, start taking on more and more jobs. Uh, they become really good friends, inviting him over to uh, dinner at home, uh, where this is the first time the guys ask him, you know, they assume he's married to Noriko and that he's married to, or in that Akiko's their family, uh, or their daughter, I mean. Uh, this is kind of where they find out that this is like a family made out of um, convenience rather than, than uh, born of love. Um, but we also see... This is kind of the beginning of of um uh, well not the beginning of it but we also start seeing a lot of Shikishima's night terrors and a lot of his uh, PTSD nightmares, including you know watching people die, watching the the mechanics die back in um uh back uh back on Odo Island. Uh, but I don't think that ramps up until. Um, they take on a special job, right? <laughs> they're they're they get a personal call from the government that they're uh, supposed to follow up on a what looks like a ship, a uh, navy destroyer that had been uh, attacked by a giant animal. So mm-hmm. essentially, their job is to secure the uh, secure the wreckage until another destroyer can come and scuttle it. And their job is that if they can uh, to try to destroy uh, the animal before it can cause any other damage. Um, so it's at this point that while they're waiting at the water, uh, Shikishima starts uh, telling his experience on Auto Island, especially when he starts noticing the deep sea fish starting to float up to the water or to the top of the water. And then... You know, as they try to radio to other ships and they start noticing uh, some things going on, uh, Shikishima starts freaking out, telling everybody to, you know, get to their positions. And no one on his boat believes him until finally Godzilla ends up breaking water and immediately destroys the other boat. And oh my god, this scene might as well have been from a horror movie this is freaking terrifying <laughs> I, got... i've seen I've, I've listened to podcasts where they've uh they've kind of um compared it to something like jaws absolutely. And I, I absolutely understand it or even something like we saw nope last year like mm-hmm. i feel like that's that it's that spielberg thing of like here are these guys who are going to encounter the big monster who very clearly are un underprepared mm-hmm. to deal with this like you know th- this spectacle monster <laughs> that they could deal with in jaws obviously it's the shark right it's the three mm-hmm. guys on the boat looking for the shark and in this one it's yeah it's the guys on the boat who end up encountering godzilla <laughs> they end up getting godzilla's attention as it starts swimming at them they end up they they manage to uh salvage two mines they drop one and have it explode, uh, not uh, doing absolutely nothing to Godzilla. So they end up lo- loading, priming and loading the next one and manage to make it right into Godzilla's mouth. 
However, they're unable to detonate it. So Shikishima gets on the uh, machine gun, loads it up, and starts firing at Godzilla's mouth, successfully blowing up the mine and like just dis- like killing Godzilla, essentially yeah. like destroying his head. But and then, in- like the T one thousand, like he 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 like instantly regenerates. <laughs> Which is I... like, it's it's a great way. There's there's a few things that they're doing here that I love. One, the smaller size of Godzilla makes it so that he becomes a direct threat to the humans in a way that he is not usually because in many cases he's too big, right? Like it, it's almost like if you're walking down the street and you're stepping on you step on an ant or you step on a snail or something by accident. It's like you you don't you're not causing you're not trying to cause direct harm to something else you're just so much bigger than it that you're not realizing that your presence is like you know just is, is a threat to their survival mm-hmm. in this movie godzilla is a direct threat to the humans around him and the fact and that it makes looks eye angry. contact <laughs> yeah <laughs> he makes eye contact he looks angry um, and I think this is the big difference between this and Shin Godzilla. In Shin Godzilla, it really just feels like a creature that just stands in the middle of the city and just stands stationary for hours, right? And days. Mm-hmm. And this is more something that when it's coming at you, you know it's coming directly at you. Yeah, and you, there is nothing you can do about it because that tail will fuck you up. <laughs> and so it's like... And, not, and it also shows us its power. It shows us the scale of what we're dealing with here with Godzilla. You know, the fact that it's able to heal so quickly from an explosion shows you you're gonna that they're gonna need something very powerful to be able to stop it. Um, at that point, when Godzilla starts rearing up to destroy the boat, he ends up getting blasted by uh, the battle cruiser uh, Takao. So Godzilla turns its attention towards the battleship and goes and attacks it. And starts trying to scuttle the ship as it's getting blasted from uh, close range with the ship's long guns. But then, as Godzilla like you know jumps off the jumps off the kind of the the deck of the ship, it goes under it and unleashes the first um, the first heat beam blast that we see the first fire atomic breath blast that we see in this. And this is the most powerful, I think, the atomic blast or the the breath blast has ever been, because that atomic breath blast feels like a mini nuke going off to the point where it creates a mushroom cloud on top of the cruiser, splitting it in half. And the very shockwave sends everyone on the other boat kind of flying. Mm -hmm. At this point, Shikishima is knocked unconscious and... You're, uh, I believe that's kind of where he has his nightmare about uh, Odo Island. And he get, he wakes up to the rest of his crew all banged up and messed up from the from the bat uh, from the battle with Godzilla. Holy crap! That scene wasn't fantastic. <laughs> I, it's so good. It, 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 for as much as I love and I worship at the altar of something like Shin Godzilla, this mm-hmm. movie gets the action right. So it's like they're getting the characters right. They're getting the action right. Like I was terrified for these characters. And you start to care about them in record quick time. You're caring about the characters that you're following. Mm -hmm. So it's like not only do I not want 
Shikishima to die. I don't want any of these other guys to die either. Yeah, <laughs> you know? these you got I the kid. The way, I love them the way I love all the characters in Jaws, like the mm-hmm. three men who are on the boat. You get time. You spend time with them because they do learn from each other, and they they end up liking each other. They develop this relationship where you're just like, no, man, all these. I want all these guys to live if possible. <laughs> Um, so later, uh, Shikishima's cleared and he goes back to Tokyo. And um, Noriko and him have an argument where you know she talks about how he doesn't open up to her. Uh, and this is after they had a conversation of him to, or of her telling him that she was going to move out and she was going to take Akiko back. I think they're going to move to Ginza. And that uh, she found an office job, and while she was grateful for everything they'd done, that you know they would be out of his hair, and you can tell he kind of wants to say no, like you can stay. He ends up not, um, but she ends up talking about how he doesn't open up about his personal life, and you know they share everything with him, but he's like so afraid. Um, so he opens up about his survivor's guilt and he opens up about his experience with Godzilla and uh, the death he saw on Odo Island um, and even just being being a, a fighter pilot and having to uh, having to deal with the fact that he chickened out on his last mission and kind of what that brings to him and it brings this whole like it bring you know he goes on this existential like breakdown where he says maybe I'm already dead and this is the afterlife maybe I died on some beach somewhere back on Odo Island and this is just the memories of a dead man and you just like it breaks your heart hearing all of this and he's like crying and screaming and like begging Noriko to give him an answer that everything is going to be fine and she just hugs him you know hugs him and tries to hold him um yeah i hate to be like that guy and i hate to say it that way but war is the monster (laughs) in this (laughs) you know like like yes there is a literal monster but there is also the allegorical monster of war in this and that's i think that's you're really seeing somebody deal with like the post-traumatic stress of, of something like that and man there's a scene where all of them are sitting uh you know where shikishima and all the and all the um uh, the fishermen like or the boat guys like they're all like sitting on uh having dinner like you know at shikishima's house mm-hmm. and there's a scene where akiko comes up and and calls him dad and he basically like says i'm not your dad and oh. <laughs> which is which is so heartbreaking like to just think about that it's like all right we, there's so many different ways to say that like this and, kid it this kid was a baby when we first saw them they've never met their parents like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's harsh and then and, this movie is going to go it's going to get harsher mm-hmm. um, because you know it what what i do like is that you're also slowly watching you know um you're slowly watching shikishima and noriko like put their lives together post this you know when they're all the three of them are are like huddled together in a shack right um because then she like is now getting a job and now you know kiko is is to be watched by the neighbor um while noriko like goes into the city uh which the city itself is um 
Ginza. Yes, it's Tokyo, but it's Ginza. It's yeah. you know, which is like a segment of Tokyo, right? Um, and that's where yeah, she, I guess... that's where she's going for work, and that's what really sets up the in this movie the scene of Godzilla uh, attacking Tokyo. So it's mm. we are getting the 1954, and I love when they do it with the electrical wires and the telephone wires, like just in the vicinity of Godzilla, because it reminds me of just that famous scene of Godzilla attacking Tokyo for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple, so it's been a couple of days since Shikishima and crew encountered Godzilla. The government has done nothing. They chose not to uh, frighten anybody. Um, you know, they didn't want to scare the populace. Very so they Godzilla. Gave, <laughs> they didn't want to scare the populace, so they put gave orders for no one uh to discuss what happened uh days earlier. Um Shigishima and his crew are put under um are put under uh gag order to also not talk about what they experienced, mm-hmm. which I forgot about. There's that little scene during that fight with Godzilla where the captain gets pissed and he's like, I hate following orders from the government. But then when the government's like, hey, we need you guys to hold off Godzilla, he goes, fine, we'll fucking do it. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I bring that up is it kind of has this theme that runs throughout the entire movie that if not us, then who? Because the captain says it a couple times and later on in the movie, there's some other heroes that say that as well. Where it's like, yeah, we don't trust the government. The government has lied to us. The government has screwed us over at every st- you know, every every turn during uh during the war, and has you know brought us back um as kind of shells of who we were. But in order for us to kind of ha- earn this second chance, like we have to do this, and it's like if we don't do it, then who's gonna do it? Even if it's something we don't want to do. Um, and you know, that's kind of important for later on. But Godzilla ends up making landfall, starts uh crashing his way through the uh kind of like the bay uh part of Ginza and ends up just going straight through downtown, and you see like a ship get thrown from the harbor right into a Mm-hmm. <laughs> just complete just utter destruction of this city as Godzilla and this is what's really interesting it goes back to what you were saying Godzilla is completely he's he's walking slowly just kind of not really in mid over the rampage but as something comes in front of him he just casually destroys it and keeps on moving it's like the again this creature is a force of nature that is literally just kind of happening. Meanwhile, you have all the people running away. You have Noriko on the train, um, which ends up getting stopped after another train gets thrown onto the tracks. Um, you get scenes of, um, you know, you know, there's like that scene with the reporters on this on the roof of the building in real time. Um, announcing what's going on and capturing pictures of Godzilla as Godzilla destroys the building, then they end up falling to their death. Mm-hmm. Um, Godzilla picks up the train that Noriko happens to be on, and as she, you know, you see people fall out, she manages to save herself. Um, last minute by holding on to a kind of a handrail, 
Uh, but knowing once Godzilla drops it, she's going to die. She ends up letting go and falling into the water to uh, saving herself. Uh, she ends up running with a group of uh, survivors um, who are all just picking a direction, running at this point, uh, trying to escape from Godzilla. And then uh, she ends up getting knocked over. And before she can get trampled, Shikishima ends up saving her last minute, picking her up. Mm-hmm saying do you want to die or do you want to come with me Mm -hmm. so she ends up running with him and they you know holding hands they run together away from uh godzilla godzilla starts getting blasted by tanks by the japanese military uh completely enraged yeah then he goes from like godzilla who's not actively trying to kill anyone again godzilla that's just walking and incidentally killing others to kind of like on the boat when Godzilla is attacked Godzilla gets angry and yeah. it starts getting angry here and you get the charge up scene again I love the dichotomy in this because when you're getting this in the MonsterVerse movies and the American Godzilla movies it is a stand up and cheer moment every time Godzilla charges up the atomic breath right mm-hmm. because you're about to see him completely fuck somebody up that's why you get hella <laughs> excited for it. <laughs> but That's in, true. It's but true. In both Shin Godzilla and in this, it the the like the charge up and the atomic breath is it's treated as a complete like disaster. And in this movie in particular, atomic breath is atomic breath. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like the bomb. And it creates, you know, as you said, it creates the mushroom cloud even uh, when Godzilla. And it's just this really weird, like, charge up where, like, the the dorsal plates, like, start standing on Mm -hmm. Godzilla's back. And then, like, he, like, it's just, like, starts, like, you know, starting, like, charging up. And his head goes all the way up. And then when he just, like, blurts it all out, (laughs) it almost looks like... You're watching Yoshi like about to shoot out like a red, uh, a red shell at you like in a Mario <laughs> game. Like it's just a sudden like blast, <laughs> and it's and it looks funny, but then you see the the destruction that it causes, mm-hmm. and I was genuinely shocked when this happens. That not only do you see the atomic breath, the bomb, like the explosion, the cloud that follows mm-hmm. and how um and how it, it this is the scene where you know where noriko and shikishima are like standing behind a building and where they you know could both just hide behind the building and noriko decides to shove him out of the way of all this like debris that's flying at them you know, kind of like in those post 9-11 videos, like when all the debris from the buildings was coming and like knocking and over and falling all over people. Like, you know, yeah. like that's kind of what this was. And it just blows Noriko away. And um, and it's just she, she, she gets caught in the blast. And it's was... the only way I can describe it is humbling. <laughs> it's like she's there and then she's not. 
it's yeah like you know what it, it reminded me of it reminded me of the scene in dark knight where they kill off like you know maggie jillahall's character mm -hmm. like it's like it's like oh it's like yeah this could happen this could happen they're setting it up like it happened but you know hey they always get away like you mm -hmm. know batman batman always saves them or like they will always survive this these are the characters that we're following so they will escape this mm -hmm. and it's like no it's like now we are left you know believing that noriko's dead like knowing that noriko's dead and that is what shikishima is feeling and he was already dealing with insane guilt you're like mm -hmm. what's going to happen now like it's he like... was already dealing and and the scene that made me cry in the theaters that was so heartbreaking is when he has to come and tell Akiko when Akiko's asking when her mom is coming back. Mm -hmm. I, oh, oh my God. It makes me want to cry right now. Just thinking about it. And I have to. Mm -mm. You're like, nope, <laughs> nope. Stiff upper lip. You got, <laughs> no, it's hard. It, it, it's, it's tough. It's, that it's, entire it's... scene from the moment Noriko pushes him in to the alleyway to save him. I'm just like, she's dead. Like, she's gone. Like, mm -hmm. there's, like, I, there part of me held out hope, and I was like, maybe you'll find her, like, maybe she found a way under some debris or something, you know? Uh, but it's, what gets me about that scene is the soul-crushing loneliness of him shouting for Noriko, and literally no one around him him being literally the only survivor because everyone's either dead or been blown away by the explosion. Mm -hmm. So it's just him. And it's like, like he no like yells care. at Godzilla too. Like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about impotent rage at that point. And as someone who has a lot of impotent rage, yeah. never have I ever related to someone when he's like, when he looks right at Godzilla, he's I'm, I'm a fuck you up. <laughs> And he doesn't say that, but in my head, canon. He well, and I keep bringing it up too because this is kind of very similar to, to now Shin Godzilla, where when the government is not doing anything about it, or the mm -hmm. people in power are not doing anything about it. Now here we go. We've got this. We've got the you know the crew, we've got his crew now. You know Shigashima's crew, and like the people who are now saying, okay, well if no one else is going to do something about it, then we have to do something about it. And this is where my favorite literary trope comes into play, and that's the old man versus the sea. You know, like Captain Ahab versus Moby Dick, Shikishima versus Godzilla, me versus God, you know? It's just something, something, I, I don't know why, I like that, I like that idea of a character so full of rage that they try to fight this foursome nature that is completely indifferent to their existence it's yeah, like the... it's, it you know what it is too like it, it's it's star wars does this when it's like them trying to plan to destroy the death star uh nope does this when oj uh m and angel our three protagonists in that are like now putting their plan together to try to lure mm -hmm. <laughs> to try to lure the Oh, Jean Jean Jacket. Yeah, Juliana. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's it, it's such a, again, it's a trope. It's a trope, and I love it. It's almost like, it's almost like the heist movie, right? It's like, all right, well, this is this is the plan now. Now we got to figure out what it is we're going to do. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like they come up with this idea of, like, of killing Godzilla, like, 
through something <laughs> called explosive decompression, which is basically like like moving. <laughs> it's basically like shooting him up and down. And it's not like, look, there's no, there's no like, like how would you kill Godzilla, right? Like mm -hmm. Godzilla does it by they basically freeze him because he's essentially a nuclear reactor. The original Godzilla, they used something, a machine that they called an oxygen destroyer, mm -hmm. <laughs> which they say like eliminates the oxygen in the water around him mm -hmm. and basically turns Godzilla into a pile of bones. <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I respect do, it. And even though it's kind of a ridiculous weapon, what I do like about it is that the characters in the original Godzilla movie have a lot of reservations about using the oxygen destroyer mm -hmm. because they the characters are trying to deal with should is it ethical for them to use a weapon that is so destructive mm -hmm. and what does that make you think of um i'm gonna take a uh, nuclear proliferation for 500 <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right so it's like so so but in this it, it does like just that that kind of like thing of killing him in the water is also reminiscent of the 1954 movie I everyone in this world should be afraid of explosive decompression <laughs> because if you don't know what that is, imagine being shoved down to the bottom of the ocean like in 10 seconds and the amount of pressure that then collapses in on you should turn you into a fine pink paste. That being said, plan B if the de if explosive compression doesn't work is then explosive decompression where they then were the idea is to tie a bunch of balloons to Godzilla and to sh like shoot them up in the air so that way <laughs> it would essentially the the decompression makes them explode is this a silly plan that sounds like something i might have made up maybe is it also effective and cool and uses science? Absolutely. You bet your sweet ass it is. And this is the part you're talking about in Shin Godzilla, where it's a bunch of people that, like you said, if if the government's not going to do anything, I am then. So you get a bunch of these radicals, you get a bunch of these old Navy officers, uh, fishermen, dock workers, essentially a group, a private group of citizens that are like, then let's do it ourselves. And so they all volunteer while you get a bunch of people, um, you know, that end up walking away from this mission. Of course, there's always, um, you know, there there's a, there's this, there there's that funny back and forth where the guy was like, am I guaranteed to die? Um, and then one of the like the the admirals like I can't make any guarantees and he goes oh wow that that already sounds better than my chances if I were still up in the war you know <laughs> so a bunch of the old heads start laughing and a lot of these guys end up um, working together or you know agreeing to the mission and working together um, as the plan is now to use freon uh, freon tanks uh, to sink. Godzilla to the bottom of the ocean and then uh, using the balloons to shoot him back up if needed. 
now completely understanding that these um the ships they plan on using are going to be too slow uh too big and too slow to outmaneuver godzilla uh shinkishima ends up volunteering to take a plane uh you know much more maneuverable and uh loaded with weapons redemption time baby oh absolutely and he's going it's just (laughs) it's just him versus creature and it combat in its most purest form (laughs) so he ends up um going out looking for um oh i remember this guy's name i was saying at the beginning uh tachibana yeah uh the technician from uh odo island and the way Shikishima gets his attention is essentially he sends a bunch of letters to a bunch of Tachibanas all over Japan calling them bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly that. I forgot what exactly he says. Something about uh having no honor or some shit. Uh until he find until he made contact with the real one, the one he was looking for. Um and he asks him for his help at redemption of um, if he can fix up this old experimental airplane that could help him uh take on Godzilla which uh Tachibana begrudgingly agrees to uh the entire time kind of berating him and talking shit to him about him being a um a coward and uh for giving up on those guys on Odo Island and you know, as everyone prepares, um, Shigishima's friends are convinced that he is going on a one-way trip and he's got plans on making this a suicide mission. Uh, he takes all the money he has left um, and he ends up giving uh, giving it to Sumiko along with a letter kind of explaining that if he doesn't come back that she uses the money to for Akiko. And kind of leaving Akiko in her care. And um, this is all to... I, I forgot which one. I think it was the captain that ends up yelling at him. Talking about that if he orphans that girl, he'll kill him or something like that. But it's just like... You, you fully believe that he is expecting to die by the end of this. And that, that that's his mission. Um... And yeah, we and we see this uh, when Tachibana shows him kind of where the safety of the where the safety of the of the bomb is, as he asks for uh, one of the gas tanks to be removed and replaced with the bomb. Uh, you're left to understand that he completely expects to uh, kamikaze into Godzilla using the the plane as a giant bomb if he if he needs to. Yeah, like his redemption is. This is going to be my opportunity to end myself as well as this monster, which I, which is which is basically what the scientist in the original Godzilla does. You know, he dies along with the oxygen destroyer, um, and it also there, yes, there's something poetic about it because he was supposed to die. But then there's another part of me that's like, this is the only person that Akiko has left. Please mm-hmm. don't kill yourself. <laughs> And it's like everyone, and, and that's the thing. It's the the message starts changing from the beginning of the film, where it's like mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. He was expected to die for honor and for country, and because that was his duty as a soldier. But it's like 
And that's what, again, war is the real monster is it changes how you view things. Is Now a lot of these guys are learning how to live. They're learning how to come back and be fathers and brothers and sons and, you know, uncles. And they're learning that they have to, there's more to life than just what they experienced in the forties, you know? Um, And that's the thing is from here on, it's, he says the war isn't over. Um, They're like the war isn't over for me or something like that. Showing that a lot of these guys, when you go to combat, a piece of you stays out there. And right now, this is kind of Shikishima, like, literally finding through with that part of him that's still at war and hasn't been able to come back home, you know? Um, so on the next day, uh, they follow through with the plan using four ships, one of which be, uh, being a decoy uh, to draw out... Uh, Godzilla's uh, atomic breath. Uh, when Godzilla breaks surface, he immediately blasts it, much to what Noda expected, allowing the other destroyers to then uh, wrap Godzilla up in these chains. Uh, these chains with the Freon, um, with the Freon, uh, what's it called? Uh, canisters. Mm-hmm. And after they're able to uh, wrap him up, they're a- they use the. Um, Meanwhile, Shikishima is using the experimental plane to kind of blast it. Godzilla, uh, bringing him uh, back out into the ocean. So once they wrap the chains around him, along with the Freon canisters, uh, they deploy it. Freon gas fires into Godzilla, appearing like it's freezing him, and he ends up uh, falling down about fifteen hundred meters into the. Um, into the underwater trench. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they notice that right when he's about to blast with his atomic breath, it just kind of shoves him down underwater. Um, and then they end up uh, deploying the Earth, uh, realizing that Godzilla isn't dead, they end up deploying the uh, the balloon so that he can come back up. And as he gets stuck about halfway through, uh, the kid from the uh, from the original minesweeping crew, who had been abandoned because you know he hurt his arm, they didn't want and they didn't want him to die out there while they were fighting Godzilla. He ends up rallying a bunch of tugboats together to help uh, the destroyers be able to pull Godzilla out of the water. So they manage uh they, so they generate enough force for all the ships to be able to pull Godzilla and break through the water, uh hoping that the decompression would kill him. Although he's heavily weakened and uh destroyed, he's still loading up with his atomic fire breath. Um Shigashima being the only person with any sort of actual weapon ends up uh you know lining up a shot into Godzilla. Uh, right into Godzilla's mouth, and I love the way they film this, where it's just like it goes completely quiet, mm-hmm. and you can't see, and you can't hear anything, and you're expecting Godzilla to either destroy the one of the ships or he or Shikishima to kill him. Shikishima loads uh, loads the safety on the bomb, and then he ends up flying, pulling on a lever uh, as the uh, plane lands into Godzilla's mouth. 
And as it gets lodged in there, and the explosion goes off, decapitating Godzilla, killing him. Um, with a lot of the uh, gathered uh, gathered uh, sailors thinking that Shikishima sacrificed himself um, in the, a last ditch effort to kill Godzilla. However, one of them managed to report that he ends up uh, ejectocitoing himself <laughs> last possible minute, <laughs> saving himself and landing in the ocean where they're able to recover him. And they ha- they end up doing a cut the uh, what's it called uh, uh, the, a flashback where Tanchibana has forgiven Shikishima. And in a, and to try to convince him to forgive himself, he shows him how to use the eject uh the ejecto I was about to say ejecto ejecto <laughs> <laughs> the ejection seat so that he can survive the last possible you know last possible moment. And it's uh you know did we see it coming? Yes. Was it emotional? Yeah. Shut up. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. Come on, man. Needed him to be there for Akiko for the rest of her life. And then in one of the stupidest plot holes. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say I didn't love it, but it's still stupid. Sumiko gets a telegram, which she then brings to uh, Shikishima. He ends up grabbing Akiko, and they end up going somewhere, somewhere uh, off by Ginza, where they run through a hospital. And as he, you know, throws the doors open, it's revealed that that uh, Noriko actually survived the attack on Ginza and has been in a hospital the entire time, unbeknownst to uh, Shikishima. And her final words to him are, "Is your war finally over?" As he runs over and embraces her. Oh, I, the <laughs> second time I cried in this movie was that. Oh my! I, I logically it's dumb. I'm it's not gonna let you call dumb. this dumb. It's a movie. It is no, a movie. I, no, I 100 percent agree. Logically, everything leads you to believe that she's super dead. <laughs> she probably, and for all we know, this could be like. He, he could have died fighting Godzilla. That's true, but I, I this... never, I never like believing those things. Like if you see like the end of Inception or something like mm-hmm. that, I believe that he he lived. He comes you back. Cobb found his yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. I I never because if I choose to believe that the person is dead, that's that's the bullshit plot for me. It's I... no. I choose to believe that everything is fine. <laughs> that this that 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 Noriko <laughs> is not dead. And she is very mortally injured, likely, but she's not dead. And they can now begin to live their best lives in a post-Godzilla attack world. <laughs> it was, and you know what? I, yes, I I think it is, for all intents and purposes, I think she should have died. But man, is it such a heartwarming scene to see them fought. Like, he... After everything this this family has been through specifically, I'm like, I'm okay with them having a win. <laughs> yes. It's a beautiful little moment. Yeah. Um, and as uh, Shikishima embraces Noriko and Akiko, 
Um, we get a shot of Godzilla's carcass falling down to the bottom of the ocean and starting immediately the healing process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and roll credits. That is Godzilla minus one. So, Angel, as if I have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like Godzilla minus one? I fucking love this movie. I think it's the best movie. I think it's the second best movie that I saw in theaters last year. That's how good it was. Like, I fucking loved this movie. It, it's top three for me. I, 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 I It gives me all the things I wanted in a Godzilla movie. It gave me everything I felt like I did. This is might be a hot, this is going to be a hot take. I did not like Oppenheimer much. It was too long. It was too boring. And even though Cillian Murphy is good in it, the characters are all good in it. It is a it's it's a it's a good movie, and I get why it's going to get the Oscar buzz and why everyone loves it and everything. But I am one of those people that has a problem with the fact that the movie excludes the Japanese perspective in it. Mm. For the same reason, there was a movie that Sofia Coppola uh, directed. I forget what it's even called, but it was a movie that was that was about the uh, that was about the South, you know, like uh, the South uh, during Reconstruction or or during the Civil War, like in that era. Mm-hmm. And it was like a Kristen, I think Kristen Stewart. No, not Kristen Stewart. Sorry. Um, God, I forget what the actress's name was, but there was like it was like a movie that included like basically was about the women of the South, but it was all white characters, and it got flamed online for the fact that it's like it completely like does not include any any men like it barely barely touches on slavery, right? Was it the Beguiled? Probably. Um, yeah, it's the one about the American Civil War. Okay, yeah, and it's like and and that's the same problem that I have with something like you know, Nolan's movie is, it's not that it's not a good movie, but I feel like it's very not good that it's just that, that I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just tired of only seeing white people's perspective of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that I got to see this movie. I think it, hand, it, it does kind of go hand in hand with it. And I think it finally deals with kind of like that Japanese perspective of post post-World War II, the most popular American war, you know, the greatest generation and stuff like that. But it just it shows the real damage and the real horror that the things that we have done to each other has not only left in our country, but has left in in, in, in the country that we attacked. And, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it, and I think it was great, and I can't wait to see this continue. Um, the movie really does end with... Uh, a chunk of Godzilla's body, like like flesh, starting to regenerate. So eventually, you know, th- this this is a reboot. You're left to believe that maybe years and years later, Godzilla is going to completely regenerate itself, um, and you'll probably never kill him. And I'm pretty sure we'll end up in the Godzilla versus monster variety at some point in the future. But this was great. I love this movie. Um, I can't wait to get it when it comes out on video. Mm-hmm. Highest of recommends that I could give it. Javi, mm-hmm. did you like Godzilla Minus One? I absolutely did. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I think, like you said, it pairs well with uh, talking about, you know, a movie like Oppenheimer, which tells us about, like, the pitfalls of the, you know, the possible pitfalls of the, as we enter the atomic age, 
how this movie gives a essentially a direct like a window into the fallout of that and kind of like the actual effects not necessarily physical effects because honestly i think if the general population knew how disgusting and how true like the actual effects of uh dropping a nuclear weapon on a population is i don't think we would feel like the good guys and i don't think we could ever call ourselves the good guys yeah. <laughs> um from world war ii but i think it's the psychological effect of a country having essentially two suns dropped on them and kind of like what that means for your psyche and to be told you know, like you're the bad guy and you're justified in what you experience. It's um you know, it 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 has an effect on an entire culture. And I think this is a movie that kind of explores that and I think explores that in a very interesting way. Um, using a very Japanese story. Like again, this is a movie that it can be enjoyed for what by Western audiences, but this is not this movie wasn't made for me, like straight up. And I think that's okay. I think that's a good thing. And I think this movie was, I still enjoyed it. <laughs> like, even though I may not, you know, culturally it wasn't, you know, it was something that probably, you know, wasn't meant to be for me, but it's still like it hits, you know. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that they were able to talk about, universal human themes that we all experience. That being said, the special effects are fantastic. Holy mm-hmm. shit. This is probably the best Godzilla's looked. The least cartoony Godzilla has looked as well. Um, I thought whether it was nighttime or daytime shots, it was fantastic. I think having him mostly be an aquatic monster uh, definitely helped uh, with the CGI. Uh, but man, when he finally gets on on land and starts destroying... Um, I think it was Gimsa all over again. Oh God, it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, highly recommend it. Highly, you know, for any Godzilla fans, any horror fans, definitely some horror elements in this movie that are really interesting. Um, I thought it was a very beautifully shot, and I yeah, the, any Oscar buzz this movie is getting, I, I feel is absolutely deserved. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. I really enjoyed this conversation and I really enjoyed us talking about this movie. What a good movie. <laughs> Just so glad. And I'm very happy that this movie is getting the recognition that it absolutely deserves. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us for this episode of the show. Please continue to interact with us on our social media platforms. Um, I really enjoy, you know, the, doing what I can to post on the Instagram page. I love that you guys are interacting with us in the show on Instagram. And I love that you guys are downloading the show, man, man, the, this, this year of the podcast is really exciting me in a way that, um, that I don't know that I don't know if I was expecting. Right. I think, I don't, I don't know if people really know how dangerously, how dangerously close we were to not continuing this podcast at points mm-hmm. last year. It's just been such a difficult time and getting on this, like, you know, going through all of these uh, listener requests and, and being able to put them all together has been such a, um, 
it's it's so revitalized my interest in doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like this week we return to something we've reviewed before, which is Godzilla. Next week we're going to be re- returning to something that we've reviewed before, which is we are going to be reviewing the 2024 reboot to Mean Girls. Um, which is like a requel, I guess. It is like a requel to the uh, movie that we reviewed last year. Uh, Honestly, I'm going in blind. Movie. I don't really know anything about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing it because the listeners advise us to do it. So looking forward to it. Going to go into it uh, expecting, you know, I'm going to temper my expectations because I think the cast in this is is completely, it, it's barely the same cast as the last movie. So We'll see. We'll see what it's like. Um, yeah. With, uh, I guess that's it. We'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.